When it comes to butter, are you a purist like Annabelle or a pragmatist like Lee? Do you butter your buntings but you spread on your sandwiches? Or would you rather risk ripping a hole in your sourdough to get that pure butter flavour? Now Lurpak are bringing purists and pragmatists together with Lurpak Softest. Our softest Lurpak spreadable ever means you can effortlessly spread straight from the fridge without compromising that unique Lurpak taste. Win-win. Uh, I thought we'd agreed to wear shorts in honour of being on the Gold we Coast. We did agree to wear shorts and then I just totally rogered you on the deal at the last <laughs> yeah. minute just because... I couldn't be bothered. Do you know, uh, I seriously thought about going completely authentic and just doing bare feet because pretty much when I come home to Queensland in summer, I resent ever having to put shoes on. No. <laughs> you were unusually insistent about the shorts thing and I also was just thrilled uh, during our mutual commute to this postcode when you messaged me to say that when you left your mum's place in Brisbane, she said, you're not going on stage dressed like that, are you? <laughs> and I thought... Awesome. Because when I first saw you, I thought exactly the same thing. <laughs> Although I'm not as blunt as your mother, so I didn't say anything. I'm feeling like, um, you know, when you sort of get told, yeah, it's a fancy dress party, it's a fancy dress party, and then you arrive and, oh, it's not a fancy dress oh, come party. On. <laughs> I'm casual, but stylish. Do you, know, you realise how hot you'd get in Queensland wearing those shoes oh, around Oh, my God. I'm already getting queensplained <laughs> already. <laughs> um, although, um, uh, what... Has anyone been to the car race today? No. I know. Hang on, I think... No, one person just said yes. Who? Who? You went to the... Come up here, just like... Just tell us, like... (laughs) Just... Come on, just pop up. Because I think... Like, is there anyone else, for reals? What's your name? Jackie. Have you really been to the car race today? Why? Uh, Because my friend lives on the track and we got free tickets. (laughs) So... Do you live in the Gold Coast? Yes, I do. And did you come here tonight for us or because you happened to be in the area because you were at the car race? No, it was for you. It was for you. I I promise. Who won the race? I have no idea. Exactly. (laughs) She's ours. She's one of us. Thank you. Man, uh, that's against all odds, right? Imagine if there was some, like, car thing tonight and they were, like, um, you know, (laughs) is anyone here, like, a a chat 10 lister? And someone's like, yeah, I am. (laughs) And they just get beaten up out the back. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Take this with your books. What's what's your name? A bazza? (laughs) I love chat 10. (laughs) Come on, we've got some bazzas. I think, in general, your old Venn diagram of your chatters and your attenders of the 600 would be, like, pretty much not touching, but I've, apart from uh, Jackie. Other, other than you, Jackie. Um, did you know, also know I used to live on the Gold Coast? You might not know that. I lived you know, at like, Corumban. I lived at Corumban. Every now and again, Anyone I find out something. It's the best. Yeah. Corumban. It rocks. When did you live on the Gold Coast? 1995, just for one year. I was the uh, Gold Coast correspondent for ABC News Queensland. What was, and I, <laughs> my flatmate was actually my flatmate for a while was Layla McKinnon. Get out! There you go. A little bit of trivia right. for those of you playing along at home. What was your biggest yarn like from that oh, time? Oh, there was. All, it was actually a good news beat. The Gold Coast. Uh, there was always uh, tourist surf rescues. Good environmental stories. Um, schoolies was a start. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's another journo in the crowd. They're just rattling through. Crime, a lot of crime stories. Um, Toolies. <laughs> yeah, there was pl- plenty of stuff. Yeah, no, it was it was a great beat. I loved living here. But you know the thing that I often think about is when I lived at the coast, I didn't go to the beach every day, and I just think, 
what, what was wrong with me? Um, but I guess I just, you don't, you know, and I was 21 or 22, I guess you just don't, you don't realise it's not going to be forever. You're a Highland dancing nerd is why. Like, you know, why didn't I? Yeah, that's right. These I was legs just have studying never... <laughs> Hansard the whole time. Just never occurred to me to go to the beach, y'all. That's, these legs have never had sun on them, as everyone can see. <laughs> no, not at all. I think you're looking very bronzed <laughs> in your white shorts. Did anyone notice there was some butter outside? Yes. <laughs> Did you that all is... get some free butter? Oh, good. Okay. What about the free butter? Just like, we should. We felt like, like we need to explain. I, I have no explanation is the truth because I would, sometimes, you know, because we are very lucky that we get to just do this weird thing where we travel around and meet just incredibly nice people and, you know, people don't mind turning up to just listen to us crap on for <laughs> hours and night. Um, but then now added to that is just butter for all. And I just love that because, you know... How the, I feel about butter, and you obviously <laughs> feel the same way about margarine. So, so the story is, um, Lerpak clearly has a very hardcore chatter somewhere Some sort in of their like, uh, in their bowels. So I just, I'm not sure that's the kind of word association they were probably looking for, but like, keep digging in their churny thing. Like, oh, this is going um, very well. <laughs> This is turning out exactly how I expected. Like, this is like an Alestra moment, basically. And so Lerpak, as you've probably heard recently, we finally, after nearly five years, have got organised to put an ad on the front of the podcast. Um, Lerpak got in touch with us and said, listen, we've heard your butter margarine dispute and we think... Couldn't miss it, really. We you? think you'd be a... We, you know, we sort of feel like we'd be a natural partner uh, for you. Anyway, the Lerpak... We're all like, get off the phone, arm's length, we're at the ABC, which is actually... <laughs> how it actually works. <laughs> um, but the Lurpak ads haven't appeared on the podcast yet, but when they were sent to us to read, we read them and went, oh, my God, there is a seriously hardcore chatter because the in-jokes in this thing are just running thick. So that will be a treat coming up for you, along with the butter that you've received this evening. <laughs> butter to the Gold Coast. It just makes sense, doesn't it? Just um, remains so chilled. Now, can I just while we're just yes, doing? Yes, I love she's shuffling her papers now. Little... That means that we're at like seven twenty nine, and she's getting ready for the show. Don't make me peer at you over the top of my glasses. You're already doing it. Um, <laughs> Do you know that I sometimes I will regularly get text messages from her up to seven twenty nine. I'm like, oh man, she's texting pretty late. It's if you're <coughs> super confident and you're like, blah 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 blah. Do this, do that. Blah blah blah. Have you noticed this? I'm like. Dude. <laughs> a... Do you know, that's because often that's, um, that's the most anxious time of the day and so I try to do things to distract myself because that's right. when I'm in the studio with nothing to do except think about the many ways that I might be able to mess things up. <laughs> and so I'll think, oh, geez, I didn't text crap about, you know, dropping off some butter or something and so that's <laughs> what happens. Um, as you might know, we have um, some, every sh live show that we do, a percentage of the proceeds goes to charity. <clears throat> and so I just, and, and it's usually something with a local uh, involvement. Yes, they're getting 80 kilos of butter, like, <laughs> tomorrow. Gonna love it. They're gonna be so happy. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Wait until Depends is our sponsor, they'll be even happier. <laughs> this is just not gonna work out, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Depends. If you're listening, we're open to suggestion. Not as good as butter. Sorry. Butter still. Um, I can't believe it's not. Never mind. Oh. <laughs> Just stop. Um, the 
charity that we're partnering with on the Gold Coast is the McLeod Domestic Violence Refuge. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they have been operating uh, on the Gold Coast since 1992. They have 11 secure units for women and children who are um, victims of, of domestic violence or who are in crisis. Nearly a thousand people have used it since it began. They are currently building a new refuge and they haven't received any um, funding for that. And so the money that gets raised tonight will go towards furnishings and some household appliances um, for that. So thank you very much for coming tonight because part of your tickets is going to that. Can I also ask, is there a Holly Parcel in the audience? Now where, we haven't worded up Holly because we don't make yeah, it we feel anxious. Yeah, we haven't her. We're going to do this. Oh, oh where there are she you? is. Where are you? Can oh, you please come down here? Can you come? Is it? Because... Is, is that, that all okay? right, Holly? Sorry. Can She's you had a long down? drive. <laughs> Sorry. So Holly... Stop apologising. Holly came Such to our thing. attention because she posted in the Facebook group that she was driving 700 kilometres to come. It was her... Her first weekend in eight years away from her children. <laughs> <laughs> And, and also, you, so you, the photo, you appear to be from afar? Yes. Okay, so where, where, did, where have you come from? Um, I live at Fallon, so population 420. <laughs> wow, where is it exactly? Um, so we're 100 k's this side of St George. And what's the sort of situation like out there? Um, can I swear? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty <Yeah>. shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's really shit. Um, so, yeah, it's just horrible. And what do you guys farm? Uh, sheep and wheat, and I have the little local hairdressing salon. Oh. Yeah, so, yeah, I usually sit at home in my pyjamas on a Saturday night. So <laughs> this is really weird. There's a lot of people out there. There's, like, more people yeah, than I've ever seen I feel in like it's years. A, I feel like it's a little bit wrong that we've um, sort of hauled you up here. So in... in, um, in I've already just bought it. The, oh! <laughs> Well, Holly Parcel, <laughs> would there be any other fans out there that might deign to accept two. our... <laughs> Me, I'm the only one. I have to explain, like, in the salon on Friday, trying to explain to all the people, like, so where are you going? You're <laughs> off work tomorrow? Where are you going? I'm like, well, I want to say that I'm going to, like, a really cool concert or... <laughs> I'm going to, like... I'm going to, like, a... A, a recording of my online book club podcast. I'm driving 700 kilometres to do it. You know the girl off the 7.30 report? Her. And the other girl that does kitchen cabinet? Them. And they're like, oh, yeah. Very regional sort of demographic. So no Lisa. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is an awesome effort. So thank you very much and You're we hope you have an awesome weekend on the Gold Coast and that you feel like it's been worth the 700 k's of driving. I'm doing that tomorrow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's a car race on you might want to drop into as well. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Um, although, I, so one of the other long-travelling uh, audience members, or two of them, are my parents, who are here from the Adelaide Plains. 
Oh, my God, I can see my dad. There's Matt Crabb. He's got a written agreement not to heckle in these circumstances, which he normally breaches. um, Look, I just want to put it out there. After our last show in Adelaide, I was chatting to Mac afterwards, and he said, and I agree, there was a little bit too much egg talk from you. (laughs) Mac thought it went on a little long. Yeah, okay. Well, I I think, you know... (laughs) Any carbon-based life form would agree that there was too much talking about eggs, like with the possible exception of some geese that were like tuning in. Uh, but mum and dad are here because this is quite a good story. Um, they celebrated their fiftieth wedding anniversary in August, and they came to Surfers Paradise for their honeymoon. And I know they. Only stayed for about four days. I think that's right, yeah, four days. And um, they arrived, and the only car that they could rent at the airport was a Mini Moke, and it just absolutely bucketed the whole time they were here, and they had the greatest time anyway because, um, you know, look on the bright side. They went fishing and they caught a fish, and they have never been back, and they're back now for their gold wedding anniversary. Yeah. I can't imagine it's changed that much, really, the Gold Coast. Apart from, like, tenfold explosion in population, enormous <laughs> plus car race. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and some, you know, not cool rockers coming to town. <laughs> Thanks, Holly. Yeah. <laughs> now, speaking of road trips, I have actually not seen you for a while because you have been on a road trip. That's right. In fact, um, given that, you know, last time we came to Brisbane for a podcast, we had that, remember that horrific last minute dash where there was wind at the airport in Sydney and we were both yes. stuck on the tra- plane and then we just thought, we're actually not going to get to this um, Chat 10 show and we were super late and we ended up having to come straight into the theatre from the airport with our bags and yes. nobody had brushed their hair. You that had was... sausage roll crumbs all <laughs> over yourself. And then I had to leave the next day to go straight to oh, the Royal Wedding coverage which you'll all remember. Uh, Yes. So I actually had an experience like that at the end of my recent family trip to... We went to California uh, and we drove a Winnebago around. Now, this is because I've been away a bit this year and when I'm away, Jeremy gets online and starts booking (laughs) unusual holiday. Well, no, just, you know, not unusual, just like... So when I got back, I'm like, oh, we're driving a Winnebago around uh, California in October, are we? Awesome. And it was awesome. I went kayaking with sea otters in Monterey. Okay, so I have put myself in places where there are supposed to be otters a bunch of times in my life. It's never worked out. I booked a, like a weekend when we lived in London at this place that was on the Thames in Bray. On the thing, it said, you'll notice otters around. I'm like... Booked. No otters. Uh, went to Singapore. Um, supposed to be crawling with otters. Full of all these signs saying, here's how to behave when you meet an otter. Be, this place is lousy with otters, so don't trip over the otters. You know, don't make sudden moves around all these otters that are everywhere. Not one. Not one otter at any point. But Monterey... No worries. <laughs> can, I, everywhere. can I interrupt? Because this reminds me of a story. Um, the, 
that, oh God, it was so terrible. I'm not much of a one for the bushwalking and the nature. Really? Is that right? <laughs> so judging by uh, those shorts, I would have assumed otherwise. <laughs> not much one for My the bushwalking and muscles and would the indicate otherwise. But, <laughs> Um, no, so I was in Tasmania and with some friends who are very keen on that stuff. And were you we just were complaining going, the whole way? Or no, were you being I all sort of tight-lipped and stoic? Probably tight-lipped and, and shitty. But uh, so we were doing a bit of Cradle Mountain, but rather than doing the whole overland track, we were doing day one and then sort of coming out and then we were driving around and you can do this walk, at, I think it's Lake St. Clair at the end where... Um, you can get, if you're not doing the whole overland track, you can get a ferry around, they drop you at sort of the far end and then you can, it's about a four or five hour walk back. Anyway, we're waiting to get on the ferry and the ranger who's who's running the thing goes, um, and I forget what sort of snakes they were, I don't, I don't think they were particularly dangerous, but just, you know, snake, hello. It's like gummy um, snakes. Or <laughs> like. <laughs> no, they were actual snakes. He goes, listen, just when you're out walking, just be really careful because we are just absolutely infested with whatever kind of snake it is at the moment. So just please keep your eye out and keep your eyes peeled. And I said, oh, okay, well, like, what do they look like? And he literally went, um, there's one, uh, there's one, there's one, um, there's one. I reckon it was like a cartoon, like, you know when you watch, like, cartoons and the, the blood, like, drains from the face? <laughs> it was like that. Oh, God, it was just... I spent the whole walk just, like... Didn't see one bit of nature. I was looking at my feet the entire time, trying to not step on snakes. Anyway, sorry, carry on. Your road what were trip you from even hell. Doing that? Uh, anyway. Oh yeah. Well, anyway, your road trip from hell. So, so things we, went bad. Well, I mean, that, no, not right away. I mean, they, it, it was it was pretty great. Like we went in. Well, we, we could just get to I the interesting could, sad bit. Oh my god! <laughs> You're rushing me already. So on day one, <laughs> we went to Yosemite. It's spectacular. I've got a story that tangentially relates to uh, granite structures in and around the Yosemite National Park coming up in about 14 and a half minutes, depending on whether the previous package runs over. This is going to involve eggs, isn't it? It's I can pretty tell. much going to. I'm just going to punish you with the eggs now. Uh, and um, But at the very end, when we were like, you know, when you've lived in a Winnebago, like five of you for a week, I don't know. Still a great Winnebago, but it's just a bit like... Uh, about ready to get out of this Winnebago. Anyway, so um, we... Look, because we, we slightly had to change our trip trajectory because somebody left her whole handbag on the forecourt of a burger stand uh, a long, long way from Yosemite, and we discovered this as we were entering Yosemite, like five hours drive later. Um, yeah, I know. That was good, wasn't it? I'm like, oh, I don't have my... Oh, my God. Anyway, so this burger bar was called In-N-Out, which sounds like... I don't know. It's not... It doesn't seem like the right name for a burger chain to me. But it's... And I, of course, could eat nothing there except the fries, so why, why do I care? But anyway, um, I rang them, their national head office, and this is the thing about America. They'd, like... There's a lot of courtesy going on there. I'm like, rang them and said, look, God, I'm an idiot. I know. I'm in a camp thing with a quarter. I just left my handbag in a thing like millions of miles from where you are, oh, national head office of In-N-Out Burger. And this woman's like, oh, sure, hold, I'll check. And she came back to say, oh, yeah, they have it. It's in their safe. They'll keep it there until you come back. I'm like, 
okay, now all I've got to do is talk my family into driving six hours back there. So as a result, our journey was a bit, had a bit of a kink in it on, to account for the six hours return drive to the burger bar. And then uh, the day before we were flying back, we were um, in an RV park um, that had all of these like permanent RVs with beer gardens and everything and had like a whole magazine rack of magazines warning that the socialist threat is upon us. I'm like, <laughs> don't meet anyone's eyes, kids. Anyway, and then, um, and then the drive from there to the place where we had dropped the RV and then go on to the airport was like 90-minute drive. Easy. Except then there was a massive bushfire between us and LA and they shut all of the... Um, all of the highways going into LA, and all of a sudden, it was a Cormac McCarthy novel. We're just like, <laughs> we don't know where to go. There's smoke. You could see actual flames. Uh, trucks everywhere. Just like, oh, we're just going to run out of petrol idling here. But then I asked Twitter, how do we get out of here? Like, we really need to, you know, there was no obvious roads open. And some nice person said, oh, drive the wrong way for two hours and then all the way around, and you'll get there, which we did. And it ended up taking seven and a half hours. Uh, instead of 90 minutes, but we made it. I know I've gone over. Sorry about what? that. No, was that like what would you sort of interesting? I don't know. What would you do if you were idling in a traffic jam and ran out of petrol? Well, this is the thing. So um, there were, and this is the amazing thing that I learned about driving around California. Apart from the fact that there are, we drove through miles and miles of. Russell Sprouts plantations. It was so good. The kids are like, oh, vomit. And I'm like, kids, this is so great. And then also through miles and miles of this tree that I couldn't identify. And I, of course, is the only person in the vehicle who cared about this. I'm like, but what is it? It looks a bit like a plum, but it can't be a plum, surely. And then um, we went past a sign that said, like, Rob's walnuts. Walnuts, of course. Californian walnuts, right? Where was I? Petrol. Yeah, so, <laughs> but the big thing that was really noticeable about those roads in California was so many trucks, like, you need to drive from Sydney to Melbourne or whatever, you know, Brisbane to Sydney, you see lots of trucks on the road, ten times as many on American roads, like, unbelievable, I mean, um, California's kind of like food bowl, salad bowl, you know, whatever, there's lots of things being moved everywhere because it's a population that's... 10 times the size of ours, really relying on heaps and heaps of stuff being transported from A to B. So I was looking at it thinking, when driverless cars happen, this is an economy that's going to get absolutely, like, the workforce is going to be completely changed. That's what I was thinking about. And the petrol? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So when this epic traffic jam happened with the bushfire, all of these trucks just, like, pulled over because they're just like, I'm going to sit here for nine hours if that's what it takes, because I don't have enough petrol to hang around oh. waiting for this to change. Oh. Yeah. But then, I just hate to labour the what, point. What happens if you run petrol? out of petrol? No, what happens if you run out of petrol? I think you just have to pull to the side. But, like, the traffic jam was so intense, you couldn't actually really oh, manoeuvre anywhere. Oh, God. sick. But yeah. The other thing, so it you... was a really anxiety-inducing experience. And, in well, fact, as, because we were driving on the wrong side of the road wrong side drive, we're in a 31-foot vehicle, uh, no idea where to go, we can see flames, everybody is jammed, and we were just at one point 
laughing and going, do you know every stressful uh, navigation, you know, little spat we've had in a vehicle together? That was nothing. This is the big uh. league. Well, and also, so Crab was texting in our little group text, me, Gwen and Murph, and it was like, it was like, it was really anxious because you've, you've skimmed over some of the other things that happened. But the thing that was making me the most anxious was that the RV, so the flight was like 11pm um, LA time. The RV place closed at four. They weren't going to make four, but they were going to make it in time to drop the RV and get to the airport. But the RV place was saying, well, we won't stay open to wait for you and you can't just drop it. Yes, which that was horrifying. So, you, but you did though just drop and run, didn't you? We did then? just drop it. We was there any cap- consequences for that? Not that I've detected as yet. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do with the keys? Um, put them in the microwave of the RV. <laughs> it had a microwave. That's how like cushy this camping trip was. Um, yeah. Anyway, they sort of sent our deposit back, which is weird. Oh, well, we it must be fine. Put yeah. a few dings in that bad boy. But <laughs> <laughs> just like. A 31-foot vehicle is it's not a graceful vehicle. Oh, that would be... I'd be scared to drive that. Yeah. I'm just imagining you doing, or Jeremy probably doing, the, like, 85-point turn to get out there of was, the traffic jam. There was a lot of very silly... Well, I mean, it's just an awkward vehicle to drive. Do you, would you say you're a fan of the road trip? Um, I'm pretty much a fan of a travelling bed, which is what the Winnebago essentially is. Right. And, I mean... Uh, I look the thing about California is that like it changes every couple of k's so you're like wow look at that amazing mm. and of course we camped at what well, camped we pulled up our luxury vehicle at a uh, you know at Yosemite um, and it's just extraordinary like there's mm. just these great excrescences of granite everywhere and water and forests and sequoia redwoods which are just ridiculous we went and sort of um, marvelled at a 2,800-year tree. I mean, that's how old it was. Just absurdly large and lots of cool animals and stuff. But, like, we um, camped right near El Capitan, which was an opportunity for us all to just freak the hell out because in the last couple of months we watched that movie Free Solo. Has anyone seen that? It's on, um, it's on um, SBS, I think. You can go and watch it. I think that's where we saw it. Um, And it is an account of um, this guy called Alex Honnold, who is the first person to free solo climb El Capitan, which is this huge, like, giant, ridiculous, smooth-faced block of granite that dominates uh, the landscape. So what what does free solo climb mean? Okay, so there's all these different... If you're a climbing nerd with like who walks around with a bag of chalk tied to your bum... You know exactly the difference. And Jeremy and I were just embarrassingly, embarrassedly trying to like, what is the assisted climb and what is the difference between a supported climb? But basically free solo is where you do not have ropes and you do not have a friend and you do not have like pegs and things that you just put well, on a pair of shorts and you just use your hands. And if you mess it up, then you plummet to your death. Like that is... That's the equation. Oh and this guy so, did the whole El Capitan. Yeah. So That's... normally if you're t- climbing like a normal demented person climbing a giant lump of rock in the middle of uh, Yosemite, it takes you a couple of days to, the get, to get to the top of El Capitan. This guy did it in four hours. I know. And so this whole documentary is just, you would find it 
so annoying. But really? also you wouldn't be able to stop watching it because he is just this kind of like, hey, yeah, maybe I'll climb it. Maybe oh I won't. Oh, my God. Maybe it'll be today. And he's got this whole documentary team like, could you just climb the rock and like hurry up? <laughs> if you're going to plummet to your death, can you make sure you do it in decent light so that we can, you know. Because <laughs> if you're the documentary maker making that film, you're like, we've got a movie on our hands either way, right? Am I right? Like, because I think, you know, if you're a real hard-ass documentary maker, you're like, if the guy dies, that'll be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he's just like living in this camper van and his girlfriend, who's completely adorable, is she's just lovely and I just am yelling at her the whole time, go and find another guy. This guy seems more interested in the climbing than... Anyway, but there is... It, it does capture also the cult of extreme elite climbing, which See, is so fascinating. It's so I've watched a doco called The Dawn Wall, which I've talked about what? on the that's podcast. That's the other before. side. Yeah, that's the other. That's around the corner. Which is they say that bit of wall is even harder than El Capitan. It's very smooth. It is. But the guys who did that was whatever the opposite is to the free solo climb, yeah. which was two guys, ropes, pegs, the whole thing. Yeah. But there's yeah. a bit in the middle. Not serious, but. <laughs> It, but it was, but so I remember years ago I was on a panel with uh, the late Lincoln Hall, who was a great Australian mountaineer. I love it. And whoever I could name, you've been on a panel <laughs> with somebody who's kind of allied in some way. Yeah. Like if you're like, like when I interviewed Shane Warne, or like you know, <laughs> yeah. when I interviewed Adam Gilchrist on seven thirty. Um, uh, so the Dawn Wall, is, sorry, Lincoln Hall. Um, when he was explaining why he was driven to do it, and much like the guys on the dawn wall and this guy you've described, it was just like he was speaking a foreign language. I, I could not understand one skerrick of yeah. why you would do that. I, I, I can't understand, like, why is climbing... And do you get any insight, like, why is climbing El Capitan with the risk of imminent death, why? why? Well, because he was the first person in the world to ever do it, and that and El Capitan is like, that's where the... I mean, for a lot of... Climbers, that is the peak climbing experience. And just he had some ropes and stuff. And he had done it with ropes and, like, there were bits that he kept falling off at. So, for me, that would be a real <laughs> so red decided. flag. Maybe <laughs> yeah. don't do this without the ropes. I don't know. Uh. But um, so in this film, finally, one day, he's just like, yeah, I'm going. And they're like, just get the camera. And he's like, Whoa. and oh the girlfriend God. is just... Not even oh. aware that, yeah, I know that that's the thing that would enrage you because you would imagine like dating this guy oh. and just be like, oh. Oh, God, um, it's all a bit serious. unpredictable. But, um, when, so we, we mm. went and gazed at it for a while, and there were people, um, climbing it that you could barely see. And actually, they did this really good thing where across the road from you know the most trafficked bit of the wall of the granite, whatever, um, they had like this, um, a couple of climbers ran this little info desk and they had a little telescope, you could go and you could look up at how a particular team was going right. you know, on you know, day two of their three day climb or whatever and um, <laughs> it must have been so annoying because I just wonder how the dynamics of the Alex Honnold, the most famous one and all of the rest of them actually works because my nine year old's like strode right up to this guy and he's like, have you met Alex, Alex Honnold? Oh. Is he amazing? Like, I mean, is, has anyone done it since Alex Honnold? Oh, yeah. And be. the guy goes, not yet. 
And I'm like, oh, that's annoying. That would be pretty harsh. When you said before um, the filmmakers would think, um, oh, if you die, it's good ending, it reminded me when you're talking about road trips, I was thinking how much I love a road trip. Thanks for asking. Um, And and, um, I, when I was based in the US, would sometimes try and do work trips if I was looking for a story and I'd try to go to places that I had wanted to go to because I'd read a book that was set in those places and so I wanted to have a sticky beak. Patching in ABC <laughs> foreign desk. Are you aware that this is what was driving this woman? ABC yeah. Fat Cat uses yeah. work uh, trips to explore, explore literary, literary obsessions. <laughs> nice. Um, so Kansas, because in cold Did blood. Did you cause Hurricane Katrina just because, like... <laughs> um, in cold blood... Uh, so you went to Kansas? Kansas. Yeah. Um, what, what happened in Kansas that um, you covered? Uh, there was a military base there. So I was war in Iraq was going on, and so I was doing a story about the military. So I thought, well, we could go to that base in Kansas, and then I can get a look at what Kansas is like. I did the, the, the most egregious one ever. And they, these were good stories. I might I just like oh, yeah. to get on the record. Amazing. Where else in America would you find a military base? A... Can't even imagine where you would go. But, oh, sorry. And the link also was Truman Capote, of course, is desperate for the killer to die. So he has the ending for In Cold Blood. Um, I went over summer. Um, I don't know if they still do it, but the time slot that PM airs in, they switch to a thing called Sounds of Summer and you'd be given an opportunity instead of having to do like a short five-minute story, you could do a sort of 25, 30-minute sort of documentary radio-style thing, which um, I did three and I adored getting to do all of them. Um, one of them, the first one I did was I went to Savannah in Georgia. Oh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil? Yeah, and the story, the whole story was about how had Savannah changed after the publication of Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. And so I interviewed, um, you know, some of the people who'd been in- interviewed by John Berent, and then I interviewed John Berent in New York and so forth. And so that was like... Oh, that's pretty cool. Unbelievable. I don't thrilling. remember it, but like maybe I was just <laughs> it was playing sport that summer. Maybe I was thrilling. hiking. But also the... Um, when you were talking about Yosemite, you reminded me of... Um, so national parks in the US, are, like I think in your head you tend to think of like the big tree, sequoia you know, trees like you're talking about, or I think of sort of upstate New York with the glassy lake, like Saranac Lake and the sort of pine trees around the lake and that sort of American summer camp type look. But I had a trip to South Dakota and... Um, little House on the Prairie. And the... I can't even... Be- the this is, uh, this is quite the reveal. <laughs> the um, the national park there, it's all like sort of grasslands. It's like it, it sort of was weird to me when I arrived there. I was like, yeah, why? Why had I not realised it's prairies? It's like a totally yeah. different kind of national park than what you see. It's like a, it's a very very diverse. Um, so sort what of do country. you do? Like just chase prairie dogs for a few days and then. Um, What did I do there? Yeah. Uh, I was doing a story about, at the time, um, it was in the 2004 US election, and so that's where Mount Rushmore is in South Dakota. So we were doing a story about um, how people felt about, actually it's sort of interesting now with Trump there, but the story was about how people felt about the office of the presidency, because obviously George W. Bush was a very controversial president. And so the sort of... Those seemingly less so with the... Uh, yeah. I love how everyone's like, oh, he was adorable, wasn't he? And, like, and now he paints those cats. He's kind of, like, gorgeous. And then, like, who got into Ellen, trouble? Ellen. Oh, Ellen got into huge, huge the... trouble for, yeah. like... Um, so, uh, what was I saying? Yeah, Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. So the, the angle of the story was basically that regardless of who occupies the office. Americans still have this reverence for the office of the presidency. Um, And so we were sort of vox-popping people at Mount Rushmore because we wanted the backdrop of the, you know, 
great presidents and so forth. But, you know, it was funny because in the 2016 election, when Trump was elected, I thought... The, the chief reason I thought they would never elect Trump was because I thought they have such a reference for the history and the office of the presidency and they people Americans won't want a sort of narcissistic pussy grubber in there. And uh, I was absolutely 100% wrong. But interestingly as well, on that travelling around on that 2004 campaign, we were doing stories about sort of how disenfranchised ordinary Americans, for lack of a better word, felt towns that previously had been thriving sort of manufacturing centres that then had lost the industry, so standards of living were going backwards, Um, you know, opiate addiction was rife. Um, And so it was so interesting because all of those seeds, which were sort of starting to, you know, come to fruition then or starting to sprout then, then came to fruition 12 years later in that election. Um, So, yeah, it was interesting. But, yeah, there's been a few... um, few yarns, a few books like that where I've thought, like I must admit when I went to Rome, I read The Da Vinci Code, <laughs> which was an excellent book actually to read in Rome because there's all these crazy conspiracy theories and churches and locations and stuff and then you can just plonk into them and have a little sticky week. I recommend it. <laughs> hey, can I tell you as well about, um, speaking of America, a podcast I'm listening to that I am loving, Dolly Parton's America. Okay, now I've heard about this, but I haven't... So is it is it kind of done with Dolly or is yes. it about... Oh. Dolly's in it. Dolly's the central interviewee. And it basically starts with... I mean, I put it straight out there. I'm a massive Dolly Parton fan. Imagine that. Um, <laughs> she is the greatest. I went to see her in 2011 in the Hunter Valley, one of the best concerts I have ever been to. My 12-year-old daughter... Um, saw Dolly as her, like, that was the first gig she ever went to see awesome in the same tour. Gig. And I thought, I felt like we'd really lock something good down for her there. Jeremy took her and I'm like, that's great. That's a really Did respectable fit. She loved it. And she bought this pink hat, which she still has, like a cowboy hat, shocking. Um, but, uh, yeah, she completely loved it. And, um, you know, she's a big Dolly fan. And I just felt like, it's a good thing that we could do for her. Like, because you you'll never be embarrassed that your first gig was Dolly Parton. Because, see, mine was, I think, mine was, I think, John Farnham. Like, you're the voice. Mine tour. was. No, Whispering Jack. I don't know. It's mine not, was. It's not going to age. The Michael Jackson Bad Tour. Okay. Which was actually a brilliant yeah. concert. And until recently, I was very proud of that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um. We used to Michael Dolly... Jackson song at our, like, kids' school performance recently. I'm like, oh, I can't. Is it a bit soon? I, you know what, I was listening to one the other day and I was Hi. thinking, this is amazing, it's a great song. Just, uh, every yeah. time I hear you now, I think it's, yeah. it is yeah. ruined okay. for me, sadly. Mm. Um, Dolly anyway. Parton is such, if you have never seen her in a concert, I mean, she's such an entertainer, the patter, the anecdotes. You know she's said them a million times, but they are just so, so funny. She said something that... Um, uh, Audrey and Jeremy told me about, which was like she would play Jolene, of course. But she said, "Oh, you know, I uh, I was very angry with Jolene at the time, but uh, well, she's made me a lot of money over the years." <laughs> and then she says something like, "Well, you know, all these years later, and I look over there. I mean, like I won the guy, and I see him sitting on the couch with his belly and his beer, and I think, hey, Jolene, you still want him?" <laughs> <laughs> So Dolly Parton's America, it starts with um, this observation that 
if you go to a Dolly Parton gig, the demographic is unbelievably diverse. And how so? We're living in this time of this incredibly divided America. If you go to Dolly Parton, you'll see a mum with her kids. You'll see um, gay guys. You'll see dudes in cowboys hats and you know stetsons. Um, you'll see just every people like me. You'll see every sort of demographic you could possibly imagine. And he was saying that's so weird that people just seem sort of to be unified in their love of Dolly Parton and so it sort of starts from that premise and then episode one sort of so how the how the guy who's the um sort of narrator I guess or the journo doing it got onto it is that Dolly had a health issue and his father um was at the hospital where Dolly arrived at and then she and the father became friends and he met Dolly through this and ended up doing this thing with her and so it's sort of I guess a bit like an oral history where she's going through her career but they build this amazing context around it. So only two episodes have dropped so far. Episode one is about, I guess, Dolly, Dolly Parton in both the history of country music but also in feminism. Um, and it's sort of fascinating and they talk a bit about how Dolly Parton's early songs were giving, because um, obviously the biggest, uh, most of the big country stars were men, she's giving a voice to the sort of women's experience and particularly victims. So she wasn't, and she wasn't the only person doing that, but she was writing the best songs from that perspective. Um, and so they sort of explore that a little bit and where she fits into that. And they also, in episode one, look a bit at um, the boobs and the persona. Look a bit at the boobs. Brilliant for a podcast, (laughs) I imagine. (laughs) The persona and the fun poking at herself, which is sort of interesting in the context of the Hannah Gadsby sort of discussion about when you do that um, and why you do it. But episode two... My favourite Dolly Parton line is, it takes a lot of money to look this cheap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Episode two, uh, I reckon, is one of the best podcast episodes I've ever heard. What? Um, it's about, and I, I don't know that much about, because I'm sort of, you know, a child of the 80s, so my first recollection of Dolly Parton's, like, 9 to 5, um, Islands in the Stream with um, Kenny Rogers and so forth. But she got her first big break, um, basically, in a duet with a guy called Porter Wagoner. Does anyone here know Porter Wagoner? Yeah, okay. So it was in the era... Just like one guy. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was like... Yeah. So um, do you remember the era, these shows don't exist now, where it would be somebody, sort of like, I guess, a variety hour, where somebody would be the central person and they'd be singing some songs or whatever, and then they might have a few sidekicks who would sing some songs with them or do some numbers, and then that would be the show. And so it'd be like the Porter Wagoner hour or whatever. So Porter Wagoner had this show. He had a sidekick called Norma Jean. There was a falling out with Norma Jean, which people speculated was maybe a sort of affair with Porter gone wrong. And Dolly Parton's sort of around and she ends up getting the break to come and be the new sort of sidekick girl. And they have, and I YouTubed it afterwards to have a a little look. Of course you did. They have great chemistry. Like, I mean, she probably has great chemistry with everyone because she's so sparky and charismatic, but they just work really well and um, their voices go well together. More on that in a minute. Um, And so it goes incredibly brilliantly. They start having all of these number ones she, he, he's not a songwriter, but she's an incredible songwriter and she happens to be having this purple patch. In fact, the podcast reveals that she wrote Jolene and I Will Always Love You on the same evening. On the same evening. Unbelievable. So she was just song after song after song. Um, Love's Like a Butterfly. They're all in this same sort of period. Um, and so she starts getting some solo success. Of course, that's not going so well because it's the Porter Wagoner show. 
Um, and so even though they've got a good thing going on, they sort of have this falling out. And so she's sort of, they're going back to the archive and using stuff, but they're, and they're interviewing people like his daughter. It, it's also totally a thrill to listen to because of all the accents, all the southern accents. It's just so lovely to hear. And so, you know, his daughter's saying things like, you know, she, she was having such a purple patch. She, she was like writing songs on my daddy's dry cleaning ticket. She would just walk over and pick the ticket off the suit and she would just write a song on the back of the ticket. <laughs> so, it's just like, I, you know, it may have been Jolene. I, I, you know, I don't know. Anyway, so it's just full of this great stuff. And Dolly, of course, is great talent too. So basically, um, Dolly realises that it just, it cannot go on and they're just fighting all the time. And they play in the, in the episode some great clips of them being passive aggressive to each other on oh. stage. Much like us. Sure. I'd be like, that was 2019, just before the troubles. <laughs> anyway, she goes, um, she knows they can't do it and it's just, it's a really fraught conversation to bust up. She writes the song, I Will Always Love You, which is about basically, um, i got to go, I'm just a bit of a drag on you now and there's no point sort of staying, but I really wish you very well. She just goes into the office, sits there has having written it sings it for him he's just bawling and then he says um okay well you can go if I can produce that song that's the best song you've ever written um and she goes okay and so they do it but then they have um he sues her later for a million dollars and but then (laughs) sorry it just keeps going going. this is emotionally exhausting (laughs) oh it was it was so riveting um she so that's terrible, the acrimonious thing, which is awful because they did have this great relationship and she does feel like she really owed him something because he did give her a break. She says in the, in the podcast, I'd like to think that I could have got there without it, but undoubtedly that was a big moment for me to get that gig. Um, he in the, I think it's the 80s, falls on hard times. He's been pursued by the IRS and they're not friends anymore. But Surely she, you could write a blues song about that. <laughs> she... she buys he's then tried to write a few songs she buys his publishing company um and then a few years later gifts it back to his children um and then they have a sort of you know they come back together as friends and then he died I think in 2007 she was at his death and blah blah blah, and so yeah so it was but anyway it was it was it felt like a film actually the way that it sort of unfolds and then can I just share two more little things about it Sure. See, notice that I'm being adorable about this. I'm like, I try and tell a simple story about some Brussels sprouts that I drove past, and you're like, to the point. So, So, just making the little point. So, I Will Always Love You has been covered, you know, many, many times, and it's most famous iteration. I actually like the Dolly Parton one the best, but the most famous one is, of course, the Whitney Houston version from The Bodyguard. Um... They have this great anecdote from the record producer who produced that um, version of it, and it obviously didn't fit in the narrative of the episode, so after the credits, just keep listening on, although I'm probably going to wreck it, so don't worry. Um, they, <laughs> they interview the film There'll producer. There'll be nothing left of this podcast but a hank of hair and some teeth by the time this lady's finished. <laughs> yeah, I really am giving it a thorough once-over. Um, so... They're recording the scene with Whitney Houston. She's like singing in a sort of club when she's doing that song. And then they intercut 
other stuff with it. And they wanted to do it live because she, you know, do a one take of her singing it live. She's such an amazing singer. So they're on the record and then they have it. And what's happened is they've been trying to think, okay, we need a really great song for the finale for this film. Um, And they tried a few things and just nothing will work. And then Kevin Costner, who's apparently a bit of a sort of music, he's been in bands, he loves music, rings this guy and says... I think I, I know the song. It's got to be um, I Will Always Love You, Dolly, the Dolly Parton, I Will Always Love You. And um, the guy goes, oh, okay, I'll have a listen. Has never heard of the song before. Says to one of the people in the office, go to the record shop down the road. I need I Will Always Love You. The Dolly Parton version's not there. He, the person comes back with the Linda Romstadt 1975 version. He has a listen to it absolute gold. This is going to be brilliant. Um, we're going to record it. So they go and record it with Whitney. It's fantastic. And then um, it, he d- decides at some point, oh, we better ring Dolly Parton, actually, and check this. Okay. Rings Dolly Parton. Dolly goes, oh, that's Whitney Houston's amazing. That's going to be fantastic. I cannot wait to hear what she does with the third verse. The guy goes, there's not, th- what are you talking about? There's not a third verse. The Linda Ronstadt version doesn't have the third verse. The third verse is the one, it's the one that Dolly actually just speaks, I hope life treats you kind and that all your dreams come true. But it's the one that Whitney Houston's just, I wish you joy. And she's just like hammering it. Um, it's, it Whitney Houston sings the absolute shit out of it. Um, anyway, Dolly go, he goes, well, we've only recorded two. And Dolly goes, well, you, you can't, the third verse, like that's the linchpin of the song. Like all of, it only makes sense if you keep the third verse. So he then goes and gets the Dolly version and goes, oh, God, we have to re-record. So they go and re-record it, and then Whitney, of course, just blasts it. Whitney's mother's there. She comes up to the guy as, as they're sort of getting the take down, and she goes, I hope you realise you are witnessing greatness. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's the take that they use in the film. Anyway, it's... Uh... Can I just get an idea of, like... Because, you know, we hear a lot from people who listen to our podcast and they're like, I'm on the train, I just snort laughed or whatever. <laughs> like, when you listen to a podcast, like, at that moment when Whitney's mother comes bustling over, like, are you going, Row! like, what, what are you, how are you responding to podcasts that you're really into? Oh, like, for anyone watching me, I'd be like going, Like, a fully, just completely reacting Right into it, yeah. yeah. Are you, okay. Do you? Or do you try to stifle it? Um, I was laughing out loud the other day on the train when I was reading Lindy West's new book, The Witches Are Coming. Oh, my God. It's so angry and funny and brilliant. And I was just... There was some point where I just went, oh, oh my God, like something that she managed to do. Because it was just, like, she is the greatest combination of, like, super angry and fierce but so funny and also kooky so I love her so much and um I did and I thought yeah no I really reacted out loud to that whereas I don't think I do to podcasts I'm like mm-hmm. <laughs> really yeah <laughs> even if so. it's really funny yeah I don't oh, know okay. I, I, I think sometimes I feel, have to pause every I think because I'm unsure of how high the volume of my laugh is going to be <laughs> when I've got earplugs in I'm just like don't be an idiot <laughs> Just keep it cool. But, like, if I don't have earplugs in, I can just go... Like, and I think, hmm, that was survivable. That's OK. Sometimes if I get hooked on one, I'll notice, like, I've stopped whatever I'm doing because I'll often be listening while I'm doing something and then I'll realise I've been for five minutes, like... <laughs> just glued to it. That's what the Dolly one was like. When the guy's telling the Whitney Houston anecdote, I was just like... 
I'm just worried, though. Like, that was actually really fun listening to you retelling it. I'm wondering if the podcast will be as much fun. <laughs> it will be because you'll have all the accents. Oh, I feel like I'm being a bore going on about it. I just wanna... No, darling, you're not being a bore. <laughs> I, I find this so interesting. No, I just wanted to talk about You have about... such lovely eyes. <laughs> I do want to talk about one more thing, but we should probably just move on. No, oh, come on. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, so, <laughs> it's a real, you're going to be sorry you've said that because it's actually pretty boring, but I just feel like, is there anyone here who like sings, can do harmonies, plays musical instruments and stuff? Okay, great. All right. So some people here will appreciate this. It's probably bleedingly obvious to people that actually know about this stuff. When I listen to country music... Sometimes I find the harmonies so tight that I cannot work out like where one voice starts and where one voice ends. Dixie Chicks does this to me all the time. I cannot hear each individual part. I can usually, you know, hear something that I think is the melody, but I'm sure I'm actually dipping in from one part to another because they're so tight. Somebody explained in this podcast... um, that in country music, there's sort of two types of harmonies. There's this really tight ones where you put them very close together and then you mix it. I can tell you're fascinated. No, I am. No. I am actually. I was just thinking, oh, it's quite surprising. It's quite interesting. Yeah. So, <laughs> just like you lowered my expectations to sort of like ferret level. But now I'm like, oh. This is quite, this isn't too bad. So you mix them. So, so say in a, you know, like um, a pop song, you'll mix, the melody will be mixed louder than the harmony, so it's really clear what's the melody and what's the harmony. In a um, country song, you might mix all, so it's all equal, so it's harder to tell. And I was thinking, a, a song, to give you an example of it, might be, um, this isn't a country <laughs> song, but on the Crowdhouse Woodface album, the Neil Finn and the Tim Finn voice, I think, are mixed pretty evenly. So, for example... Um, uh, it's only natural, right? So is, is the melody of it's only natural... I've often wondered this. <laughs> Thanks, for everyone, for indulging me in this therapy session. <laughs> is the melody, um, ice will melt, water will boil, or is the melody, ice will melt, water will boil? Like, what's the melody, the higher part or the lower part? Just can, I can barely sleep for wondering you... <laughs> about that. It's... Yeah. So... Anyway, I've often wondered about that. So now this is explained to me. That's an actual Do thing. Do call in with your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> the great thing is that like, we'll probably get a message from Neil Finn going, listen, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm the lead, you bloody idiot. <laughs> the band's called Crowded House. I'm the fucking lead. It's Did the you? Neil Finn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not Tim. It's me. I think Neil's Did you see harmony. him with Fleetwood Mac? No. I did. <laughs> Was he just doing harmonies? Was he mixed equal to Stevie Nicks or was he... No, see, this is the other thing. So there's... This is the... I swear this is the last thing about country music harmony. So then there's also the... Where you've got two voices and then you put them really far apart. So um, Dolly Parton, Kenny Rogers, Islands in the Stream, you can pick the parts super easy. And that's what Dolly Parton and... Wagoner, whatever his name was, Porter Wagoner. Are. She's so out, far apart. She's so far from the shore now. She's like, what was that guy out of? That was 90 minutes ago. I'm, 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 I'm on my next thing now. Anyway, it was like a real penny drop. Like, oh, that's why I can't work out what's going on with the Dixie Chicks. They're super tight together and they're all mixed equally. Phew. <laughs> I feel like I should let you talk for quite a while now. No, that's okay. I just thought, you know, I just had no idea we'd be discussing that, but like... I think that's, you know, we didn't know about the eggs either, to be fair. 
<laughs> oh yeah. Oh god. I'll be taking my dad aside later and be like, say. "What's with the harmony situation?" Would you rather we went back that. to eggs, Mac? Because we can do that. <laughs> Are you enjoying Chat Tan Looks 3? Is this pointless ad giving you an opportunity to make a cup of tea? Well, you are welcome. If you do enjoy our company, uh, you can interact on a just a dizzying array of online platforms. You can go to our website, www.chat10looks3.com, where you'll have the, all the show notes from every show we've ever done. Thanks, Brenda. Uh, there's also um, a little link through to uh, a bookshop called Bedside Table, where you can purchase, if you'd like, any of the books that we've talked about in the podcast. You can also find merch if Gwen has been up to her terrible tricks and um, putting together diabolically hilarious merchandise. Can you make this a bit snappier? It's going to take us over the 30 minutes. Oh, my God. Are you for real? Anyway, uh, you can catch us on Instagram, on Twitter, or join the Facebook group, which is, well, that's just uh, something um, completely else indeed. (laughs) I did something super out of character with my holiday reading. I read detective fiction. I really love detective fiction normally. I just sort of, I don't know. Every time I read about a, you know, hard-bitten detective with a drinking problem and a heart of gold and, a you know, like them waking up and not having a shower and, you know, I don't know. I just think it all seems a bit samey. So I know that's controversial to some readers. But anyway, so I asked my friend Michaela, who knows a lot about uh, writers because she's the director of the Sydney Writers' Festival. And, like, when you've got a job like that, it's it's sort of like if you're a doctor and your friends always want you to look at their rash, you know. Like, oh, going on holiday? Any tips for holiday reading? And she said, read Tana French. Um, who's this Irish writer of whom I had not heard. I constantly have this where I, like, I feel like I read all the time and then I haven't heard of people who are like, really great. Um, like, I emceed the Prime Minister's Literary Awards the other day. I'm like, I read all the time and I haven't read like, half of the things on this list, which I'm you know, addressing now. But um, anyway, she said, read The Witch Elm by Tana French. And then, if you like that, she's got some sort of like, detective novels that are really great. And I'm like, hmm, okay, gateway drug. So I read The Witch Elm, which is um, spectacular. Like it's, and it's a great sort of holiday sort of a read because it is full of intrigue and mystery. It's about this um, young man, um, something terrible happens to him and he's sort of thrown back together with his two cousins that he was very close to in childhood and then discovers that there is this big secret that kind of binds them all together. So there's lots of, like, dark secrets and relationships falling apart and, you know, life getting messed up. Um, And I just went all the way through that one. And then I read not just one but all four, or, like, four in a series of the... Dublin Murder Squad, her (laughs) detective series. Um, So there you go. I read five books by the same author. And are the detective books, is it the same 
like is it like Case Garpetta, like the same person in every? No, it isn't. Right. And I think that's what I like. I just, I just, I think I, Case Garpetta is brilliant. But by book thirteen, I don't know. I feel like I'm sure I've I've read her drink a cup of coffee in that way before. <laughs> I feel that's my fear that I'd get to that point. So the it, the interesting structural difference with Tana French's um, cops is that um, so the first detective one um, that I read, which is called In the Woods, features a principal cop um, who is very, very complicated, has a um, history of personal trauma and then revisits the place where he grew up where there's another murder that is quite relevant to something dreadful that happened to him as a child. And then, um, and it's so intense and the things that happened to him are so damaging. You think, is this a series? Because I haven't seen this guy really making it past this book. Uh, and the next one is a, a recognisable detective from the first book, but she then goes on, oh, yeah. like, so you find out more about her. And so each book is someone that you've heard of from one of the other books but so it's like oh, you. So it's like you're pacing out the perimeter of this, you know, Dublin murder squad, which, by the way, doesn't exist. So nice and safe, you can, you know, misrepresent anyone. Um, um, and so actually, it's quite a an absorbing read because you feel like you're kind of getting to know this area from looking at it from a different perspective every every book and. She's a great writer. I really, really was like, okay, I've finished that one. Where's the next one? Oh, great. Yeah. So are they just like... In the Winnebago. Um, are they... Is, it, is the vibe like, I can't wait till you stop speaking so I can get back to my page turner? Yep. Oh, great. Okay, good. I'll save so that. At one point, holidays. Jeremy said, right, we're going on holiday so that you can read books that you could have read at home. I'm like, yeah. Right. <laughs> I was like... I don't get time to read them at yeah. home. This is great. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk to you a bit about... So you've read the books. See, see how concisely I've just talked about five books? Brilliant. The other ones are called uh, The Likeness, Faithful Place and Broken Harbour, just for those playing along. And I'm still feeling guilty about how much I went on about I know, that's why I'm just turning the screw a tiny bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you've read she, she Said, is that what it's called? The book, The Megan Tway. That... <laughs> you've got to stop it. Is that She Said? Jodie Cantor, she says, yeah. She Says. Said. I've just panicked, forgotten the name of that book now. The, she past, said. Past tense. She said. Okay. So yeah. I have read. I think it's supposed to be like he said. She said. We're okay. just concentrating on the she said. So I've read Catch and Kill because I had to interview Ronan Farrow for 7.30 right. while you are away. So Clang. I want to know. I've got a few questions because I haven't read that. And I know you've already talked about it on the podcast. So, um, yeah, but I think that these questions will be not stuff we've covered. So in Ronan Farrow's book, he talks... It's quite a lot about him and the impact that it had on him investigating this. And so he's getting... Um, he gets increasingly paranoid because he thinks he's being followed and it turns out later he is. He like, totally is. Harvey yeah. Weinstein has people sort of on him and sort of, you know, investigating what Ronan Farrow's investigating and so forth. Adorable. Did the same thing happen to those women? So they were, um, they were, their main thing was that they were um, trying to, um, they were locating women who had had problems with Weinstein and then they were trying to get them to talk. But the problem was, of course, that a whole heap of them had been paid off and signed these unbelievable um, non-disclosure agreements, which 
I mean, it's such an interesting facet to the operation of the law because, it, you know, these, the lawyers around Weinstein were just, like, weaponized because they were just disappearing stories. And so um, it was really hard to get anything that could be usable in a story. And there's this great moment in She Said where Jodie Cantor and Megan... Megan were, um, <laughs> like, they've... They've been on this story for months. They've got this amazing, like, they're in constant contact with, like, Gwyneth Paltrow and all of these women to whom this stuff's happened. They know dozens of names. They know all of these stories. And their editor takes them out for a drink and says, okay, tell me everything, and they kind of download. And their editor says, well, I can't see anything that we can put in the newspaper. Amazing to know all that stuff and be able to like cement none of it in a story. And, and eventually, obviously, they, um, they had a series of breakthroughs and they got there. But Weinstein, they were sort of in contact with. Like they'd right. met with his lawyer and he'd come in to be interviewed um, on a different story and there's this terrible moment where he kind of like confronts him in the lobby and he says, I oh, know, you know, you must think a lot of bad things about me but let me tell you in real life... I'm even worse. But was he doing the same thing to them that he was doing to Farrow, which was having them followed, investigating them, that kind of stuff? No, I, look, I think not in that kind of personal stalking way. And right. But I think, like, what seems to be, like, one of the big takeouts from the Farrow book is the extent to which the black ops was being done not only on Ronan Farrow but also on the women. Yeah. You know, and yeah, there was there? this incredible sort of dossier um, being... And on- on the um, NDA point, I was reading today that NBC... So in Ronan Farrow's book, he goes into a fair bit of detail about how NBC was trying to stifle his reporting on it. And we've learnt subsequently, and, and he's exposed quite a bit about Matt Lauer, the former breakfast show anchor, and um, harassment with him and so forth. NBC's now announced that they're lifting all NDAs on... So if people, really? Yeah, so if people want to speak now... It's being lifted. Rachel Maddow's done a big sort of, she's, you know, on MSNBC, a big spray about NBC um, and the way that they've tried to sort of put a lid on all of this. So it's sort of, it'd be interesting to see now if people will actually speak or not. But the book, it's sort of, it sounds like... an interesting business case sort of calculation, isn't it? Like, is it more damaging to our business to be perceived as protecting these complete monsters or is it better for us to sink money into the tidiness of not having this stuff leak out like it's mm. it's super encouraging in one way that that becomes a tenable business case argument like that the mm. shame of being associated with covering up all this behavior is now sufficiently economically damaging mm. that it outweighs the original investment which is um a really great measure i think of how much the Me Too movement has actually changed things. Yeah, I really want to read She Said Now That I've Done Catch and Kill and you probably feel the other way because I feel like it'll fill in... Because it feels like it's, you know, the whole trying to feel the elephant thing in the dark room where... um, you know, he's he's t- speaking to people that they clearly haven't got for the New York Times and they've got people stitched up he hasn't got. And so um, it's all quite interesting. 
Um, we were thinking that we would take some questions this evening, and if anyone would have one. Before we do that, can I talk a bit about... I saw Judy... That is just her saying, um, could you just tense your buttocks uh, and, like, <laughs> or think of something? Or if you can't, that's fine. Like, we don't have to... Obviously, we can completely <laughs> fill the time. How much time have we got left? Um, about you're... 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, she knows I... exactly how long. <laughs> um, can I just, like, psychologically prepare that we do have... Um, I'm sorry, there are no mics upstairs, so... Um, yeah, that is bit, sorry. So, um, but if you've got an urgent one, you could just always shout when we say the word, and, and there's a... Um, uh, are the ones downstairs, are they roving or are they on stands? They're roving, maybe. See. They're roving. Oh, they're roving, okay. So right. we might... Well, let's prepare by, like, bringing up the house lights a little bit just so that everyone so can, can kind of... Hands, yeah. yeah, just bring the house lights up. We see oh, everyone's yeah. face. Hi. Oh, Everyone. Oh, oh God, that's so terrifying. There's actually like a whole heap of people. Hi. Hello, you can see you out the back. Oh, hi, hello. Um, right, um, so you were going to barrel on with whatever so you wanted to talk about. Does that mean... Okay, so I'm just not sure about the mics, but anyway, we'll work it out. Um, so Judy, Renee Zellweger, Judy Garland. Oh, God, right, yeah. yeah. Um, your favourite lady, because you interviewed her and she was so adorable that you immediately binned all your hard oh, questions. She was, like, was so one of the most adorable people I've ever met. She was... She, you sort of realised, oh, this is why you're a film star, because you're just dazzling as soon as you walk in, charming, adorable. Um, she is amazing in this film and really... It's all just scaffolding around Renee Zellweger. Um, like that's a tough gig, Judy Garland. Oh man, she she really does it blindingly well. And it's so the film is basically about a five week period in sorry yeah five week period in um, Judy Garland's life in 1969, six months before she died, where she was doing um, a series of evening nightly shows on the um, at a venue in London, and she was really you know um, alcoholic, drug addicted so forth and not in good health at all um and it was just quite the battle to get her out on stage every night um and then they sort of intercutted a little bit with her um childhood and filming the wizard of oz because they're trying to give the context of what her childhood was like and how bad it was and that that was the period at which she began to rely on um drugs and, and alcohol and so forth um she it it's it sort of shows also that as much as she was addicted to the substances, she was also addicted to the spotlight and that she got a lot from the audience and needed and craved the affirmation of people. And um, when that was... Even though that sort of tortured her to do it, when it was taken away, that was also torture. So they sort of capture that sense of her being tortured, a t- very tortured person really well. It's, it's a very, um, I think sort of sympathetic portrayal of Judy Garland. I'm sure there'd probably be people that would think it's maybe a bit too sympathetic. And it wasn't... I thought it would be really horrendously depressing. It's definitely a sad film, but it's not like just... You sort of come away feeling like, I feel terrible for her, that was a tragic life, but what an amazing talent and how lucky we were to have that person. Um, and it's just, it's staggering. So she died of an accidental overdose just a few days after her 47th birthday. Like, just... Anyway, they play, Renee just embodies her so amazingly well. And they, they do a take of also... I don't know, have you ever can seen... Can she sing? Can Renee is yeah. to sing? Yeah. God, I hate that when they're like, oh, I can also sing like a complete <laughs> angel, by the way. She was in... Did you ever see Chicago with Catherine Zeta-Jones? She's Roxy Hart. I just hated that movie, sorry. <laughs> I walked out of it in the cinema. Oh, my God. One of two films that it I've was, ever walked out of. It won of. an Oscar. 
can see the Jones. I know. Just hated it. God. Jeremy and I went to see it and I we were about it. like an hour in and we're just like, oh, I am not enjoying this. How about you? He's like, God, me neither. So we left. <sighs> the only other one that I walked out on was uh, Crash, that David Cronenberg film. Oh, yeah. I've never seen that. Do Don't. you know what I did hate that might surprise you? Moulin Rouge. Absolutely hated it. Slaughtering some sacred cows tonight, aren't we? <laughs> you took that. You took the. You know that news about the walkout of that musical, like pretty well, though. Oh, I'm reeling <laughs> on the inside, <laughs> but I, yeah, I just, yeah, that is a truly great film. I... Do we have any questions? <laughs> do we have any questions? Do we? Do we have yeah. a microphone? Do we yeah, have a mic- oh, hey, there it is. Okay. Does can anyone? I, just... I don't know. Yep. Yes. Oh, okay. Heaps, yeah. All right. Well, there's a couple down in row three here. You can fight among yourselves. Oh, yeah. About just who's... pass the mic along yeah. from one to the next. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I'm back in headband, lady. She's closer. <laughs> earrings is possibly going to fight Jodie, though. Oh, earrings wins. Um, Dolly Parton uh, podcast, amazing. Is Dolly Parton a feminist? Yeah. Have you listened to it? Yeah, yeah, amazing. yeah. There is a bit in it where they ask Dolly, "Is she a feminist?" And she very vehemently. Oh, should, should I say? I might spoil it for everyone. She has a very. Wow, you told every other single thing <laughs> that happened in the like what? <laughs> this is the yeah right. It's nice to leave a little something to the imagination. <laughs> Said Dolly Parton, never. She says a very vehement no to that. Yeah. And then she explains why. And then they sort of ask her again and word it slightly differently. And then she has a different answer. It's sort of, it's like she basically doesn't want to say she is, but she's happy to say she is in the sort of living of her life and the doing. But she's one of those women who has a problem. She's like Julie Bishop. Exactly. She has a problem with the word. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting hearing her explain it. So, Um, did you want to ask one too? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Just on Dolly Parton again. It's your people. <laughs> Third row. You just said that the uh, second episode was the best episode you've ever... Oh, one of. Of a, of a podcast. One of, yeah. One have, of. Have you not ever listened back to the episode where you and Annabelle went to see um, Fifty <laughs> Which Shades of Grey? <laughs> that know, is I've, one of my all-time favourites. I've yeah. never listened to this podcast once ever, not even a part of it. Like, I've never listened to a single episode back again because... Just, but do you just know the, sound like such idiots. But you know how when you – there's some that when I think of, I think um, oh, yeah, no, make me funny, laugh. Yeah. Like that one is one. The one where I made up the song about your oven is another of my personal favourites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The one where I bastardised Tim Minchin's um, uh, When I Grow Up and I break down laughing in the middle and I cannot carry on and you <laughs> said something like, wow, you're really good at this, aren't you? <laughs> Just made me laugh. And the one about when I was explaining to you that film, um, Hero Dreams of Sushi, yeah. and you were just baffled <laughs> by <know>. it. <laughs> so your top, like, five list is just moments where you were hilarious. Like, <laughs> when I, I was... You were hilarious I, in all of those. Yeah, it was just like being your straight man. <laughs> I was so adorable in the one about strobe cream, don't you think? What are your favourite... Oh, what... what? Do you like the strobe cream one? I like strobe cream, but the sound was so bad apparently that we're nobody the only could, people that experienced that one. Yeah, I don't know. I'm panicking. I you can't remember a favorites? single one. I don't know. Really? Oh, okay. All <laughs> right. No, no. I mean, like, I, I always have a nice time. I just can't remember one right now. Dear. <laughs> um, hey, ladies. I don't have a question. But, okay. Um, no, this is going well. 
bear with me, okay? I have a transgender son, um, and he has been uh, transiting for five years. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for your last podcast. It meant so much to every trans parent oh. in the world. And, oh. and I cried. Oh, oh thank you very thank much. You. I to say thank you. Thank you. That thank is you such a lovely thing to hear. And, um, you know, I mean... We started talking about it because I met Georgie Stone and I, like, read her mum's book and it just seemed so... Actually, that book was so great at making things simple, like... And also... Well... Well, yeah, I, I don't know. It just seemed like... I don't know. As a, what at the beginning is a frightening set of unknown circumstances that can be made so simple just by being loving and fierce and kind of confident... And that was just such a clear... It became so clear reading that book. So thank you. Like, it's lovely to hear that because, um, yeah, isn't it great when you read a book that makes you just go, right, okay, God, why can't everybody be made to read this book? And, you know, because I feel like if we just put that on the reading list for every person in Australia, it would just make things so much more simple. I do try also, I'm sure I do use it sometimes, but I do try to not use the word normal in the context of, you know, like illness or just any sort of, um, you know, condition of living, I suppose, Um, because it's just, it implies that if you're not normal, you're abnormal. Um, And I just, yeah, try to, the word normal, if you sort of attune to it, gets used a lot in um, ways that are, I think, sometimes hurtful. Um, right, who else? Over here. All right. Where's the microphone gone? Yeah, oh, yeah, shout it out. Sure. Oh, the thing is, though, with the loud voice, we can all hear it, but we're also recording it. Oh, yeah, of course. For your yeah. eternal, you know... Um... Yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> and there you are. I, that was a really heavy thing to come after because I was going to talk about rock climbing. You yeah, can't no, no, talk do. about rock climbing. <laughs> do, yeah. Are you a climber? Do you have a chalk on you right now? I actually have, if you came up here, I have an actual hole in my hand from rock climbing at the moment. Wow. What, how did you, what were you climbing, something super sharp or what? Uh, friction. Oh, friction. I've got a blister in the top fell off. Oh, okay. Ooh. Ow. <laughs> it's not that bad. So it's what do you climb here around here at the Gold Coast? Uh, well, I live at Brisbane, I normally, oh. but Paige's Pinnacle at the back of the dam's pretty cool, but it's oh, a really okay. awful walk in. <laughs> right. It's 40... 40 minutes straight. Yeah, snakes everywhere. It's horrendous. <laughs> I whinge every time I have to go there. Um, my thing was, because I've seen both of um, Free Solo and um, Dawn Wall. One thing is, I was thinking about, I think um, Alex Honnold and Tommy Caldwell may have been on the Dawn Wall when you were there, because I saw on their Instagram that they're doing a project on at Yosemite at the moment, so... Imagine if you were looking at one of them. I can't quite... Oh, work. my gosh. I, I don't know when you were there, but they are I'll have to tell my nine-year-old. Yeah. He's, like, right into it. Maybe yeah, it was but... Tommy Connell that he's asked... So maybe he's asked the Doyle guy about... No, the... no, this guy was, like, a sort of whippity 22-year-old, yeah, like, yeah. definitely not that... But um, <laughs> the other thing that Elliot, my son, learned, that he just was, like... He picked it up from one of these climbers that he was talking to. He's like, did you know that when you're climbing, like, you have to take a poo bag with you yeah. and it's some sort of you'd know all about this son. I, I don't because yeah. I've never done those multi yeah because that's insane so you can't do a poo like you have to take a and it's like a tube that you somehow and then you tie it in a little knot and then you just carry it with you so they, it's like they, he was just like oh my god yeah. that's so weird they, they usually use PVC pipe 
Right, oh. so it's an actual pipe. <laughs> it's actual plumbing pipe. It's a pipe. poo pipe. It's a poo pipe. Right. Um, Before we run up. <laughs> sorry. My question was... With oh, the, God, right, yes. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've covered quite a bit of ground already, but, I'm like, sorry. sure, question. Um, my question was, because with um, both those movies, and especially with Free Solo, the thing that kind of got me when I was watching them was the fact that to be able to be the documentary person making that film, you have to be a bloody good climber in your own right because you have to be able to get up there to set up. Yeah, that's so but, true, yeah. And so the doco people were, uh, like, Honold's really good friends and so one of the whole backstories in that movie was the fact that they were having to, in their own heads, be okay with the fact that they might see their friend die. And um, they were really trying to set up their cameras in positions so that it wouldn't put him off because one of the big things oh, yeah, of is in yeah. your own head and learning to control your own thoughts because that can make such a difference. So if you see your best buddy just sort of like, give that camera a bit of downward panning, <laughs> like sort of space. Yeah. Wow. So what is fascinating. I'd love to hear your thoughts on because like it, it really was something that kind of sat in my head was the fact that to make that movie you have to be okay in your own head. Well, I think that... That you um, might see someone's demise. I think uh, in sort of lots of, um, you know, documentaries, news coverage or whatever, um, if you put yourself in the perspective of the cameraman, you'll realise usually the cameraman's taking a significantly greater, I should say camera operator, significantly greater risk than the person uh, in front of the camera. Because, I mean, I know I haven't done a ton of really dangerous stories, but I know that... Um, you usually, went hiking with snakes that time, though. That was amazing. Ooh, very dangerous. I'm usually hanging back as far as I can, and the cameraman's got to get right in there. So um, it's a very dangerous thing. And, and usually, like, say, if you've got a shot of the dude summiting, you know, the top of the Dawn Wall, you're already up there. So you've got up there somehow. I mean, I assume for that they've been chopped in or something, but, you know, I don't really know. Or anyway, maybe have ropes. Or... Let's try and hit some more questions before we run out of time. Yep. Hang on. Ooh, microphone's right behind you. Yeah. Yep. I just wanted to bring us back to Dolly for a moment. Yes, oh, great. awesome. Fair enough. It's been a few <laughs> moments since we've... Great. It's been all of my Dolly's greatest moments. And um, I feel like my sister and I are, like, the only people that have ever seen Rhinestone. And oh, Bert Re- no, is it Bert Reynolds? Who's in Sylvester Stallone? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Dolly, yeah. Um, I've not seen Rhinestone. I must admit, oh, but I've got um, this sort of weird, murky memory. Maybe I've seen it. Semi-trauma, semi. Yeah, God, must see. Okay, good. Right, that's going to rock it up the charts. What about clothes singing? Yeah. What about some hands further up this direction? We'll see if we can get some people up the back. Oh, there's one right oh, up the back up there, right in yeah. the sweet spot. Hi. Hi. I, um, in my life, have described myself as a Lee Sales raised by an animal crab. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That must be... Are you ever on time for anything? <laughs> it was an experience. Um, but my question for you was going to be, uh, if you two were to have a love child of your own, if it was possible, what that child would look like. But after hearing about your different holidays, my question would be... <laughs> How would either of you cope with a week of holiday planned by the other one of you? Oh, wow. Actually, I I don't think it would go too badly because, like, on the occasion where we've gone away together, like, we both... When have we done that? 
Well, that thing that we did with Helen, you know, that... Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We both were just, <laughs> we just like... We didn't spend any time just, No, we didn't see each other at all. It was blissful. We're just like, I'll be in my room reading. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. And then it was like, shall we meet for dinner? Actually, I'm just going to get room service. Cool. <laughs> That is so true. Yeah. And I was, I love that. Right. I'm like, I know that you don't expect me to go snorkeling or yeah. go for a bush walk with you or anything. No. Like, you just like, let's be alone separately. And then, <laughs> yeah, I reckon, do you know what? I reckon, because I actually like on holidays to do, my favourite sort of thing is after breakfast to go, see you later, see you tonight, and then I go and do my thing and then come back and meet up for dinner. And so if we did that, it's good because then you have any... What, why I like that is because I don't get rushed and have to do stuff other people want to do that I don't want to do, but then I get have an interesting conversation, hear about what they've done and talk about what I've done and then... And all yeah. I want to do is lie on a bed and read a book, so... Perfect. Easy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you're absolutely right because wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, hey, let's do Cradle Mountain together. Never going to suggest no, that. So. That would be ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but also I think that probably is a reflection of our normal day-to-day lives as well, like where you mm. just, you know, you know, you get to a point, some point in your life where you stop fantasising about being in a hotel room with someone else and, like, you start fantasising about being in one alone. <laughs> That's pretty great. So true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what about over this side now, just so we can have a bit more of a workout? Anyone on this side? Yep. Okay, go. Um, it's okay if it's a flat no to this question. I won't feel too rejected. But you have led a like a juicy tidbit um, on the podcast that you're working on some new writing. And given the success of any ordinary day, is there any hint? Oh, um, in all honesty, I am just. Oh, well, I'm actually working on an essay for something at the moment, which I won't. I can't say too much about. But I. That's just. 2,000 words. But um, in terms of broader writing, um, I don't have any... I I do actually have ideas, but I don't have any ideas that are gripping me. I've always got tons of ideas, like my ridiculous spy thriller and my, you know, like stupid Flora's Fancy style stuff. Um, Nothing that I think I'm happy to live with for four or five years and nothing that I feel like sustains an entire book. So what I'm doing at the moment is I'm just keeping a... I'm trying to keep a daily journal where I just write down um, observations about things or funny things that people say because sometimes those things spark ideas later. So I'm just trying to um, just let stuff flow. (laughs) Um, She could be lying because she did uh, write the whole of Any Ordinary Day before telling anyone that (laughs) it was happening. No, but um, I I literally don't have any um, really good ideas, I don't think. Yeah, so, sorry. <laughs> I am trying to, though. But you can't rush it. You sort of have to let it, like, brew. And so, yeah. like, Detainee 002 was published in 2007 and Any Ordinary Day was published in 2018, so, yeah. Like the Donna Tart of, um, of Australian non-fiction. Yes. Now, there was someone else who I said we could go to. Yes, you, up there, if we can. Yeah, just yell, because you've been waving your hand around like a, like a sea otter. <laughs> oh yeah which ones to go to well i think the sydney writers festival is the best one. Oh, you would say that you're on the i board. would say that <laughs> yeah but it is superb do you know i am a fan of um holidaying with friends and then doing stuff like that for the same reason i said about holidays because you get to then have it sparks interesting conversations so 
Byron Bay, obviously, is a pretty fun one. Yeah, because um, you can go and, and plan a little weekend away with your friends. Um, Adelaide Riders Week is actually yeah. pretty great too because yeah. it's like being in Adelaide in March is amazing because there's be- so much going on and also the Riders Festival is free too so you just like dip in and out of whatever. To be honest, hot, they're, all, they're all good and I think if you plan, like if you plan ahead and you go, I'm going to go to Melbourne for, you know, four or five days and I'm going to go to the Melbourne Riders Festival or same for Sydney, they're all great. And do you know one of the things that I think is fantastic to do is if you if you decide, oh, well, I love, you know, Helen Garner and I love Christos Cholkos or whatever, I'm going to go to those, but then it's good to just show up and roam around and just plonk into anything even if you think you won't be interested in it because it is amazing I've, I've gone to some stuff and then just thought wow I never would have chosen to go to that and now I'm so interested. Do you so ever get that thing where you go and see someone at a rides festival and you're halfway through their session and you're just like I'm so annoyed that I haven't already read this book like you yes. get this sort of and you you then go and read the book and after you've read the book, when they're long returned to their own place of abode, you just yeah. think, now I've got all these questions that yeah. I can't ask you because I was there and I was humming along because I hadn't read your book. Yeah, I do. Um, the only other thing I was going to say... make a spreadsheet before a writer's <laughs> festival and just like... Um, when... Uh, sometimes when I'm planning, if I have like a holiday coming up um, and I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to go overseas in, you know, 2021 or whatever, I'm going to New York, I'll, I might try and time it to land with the New Yorker Festival. I've often wanted to go to the Hay um, Writers Festival in the UK, um, which I've never done, but I'd love to like... I went there. It's oh, so good. So I saw good. Christopher Hitchens speak there oh. and he was like, he was being so outrageous. He was like openly smoking on stage. Everyone was like completely traumatised and but fascinated. <laughs> and he's so erudite, but he was saying all these like things that the sort of hey on why crowd didn't quite agree with. And there was this great moment where this lady... He was just this, all a Twitter. She was so excited but also so horrified. But he had a kind of like a pro-war message. It was like in the <laughs> early 2000s. And, um, and she just said, oh, Christopher, I just, I love you so much, but I can't agree with anything you're saying. I'm so confused. Because <laughs> he's just so incredibly erudite, but also just like just hitting all these notes that this literary festival was like, oh, God, that's outrageous. Yeah. I do it think so it as well, if you, if you time a holiday around sort of an event or something, it can be quite special. Like I've got a friend, it's on my mind because I've got a friend at the moment who's uh, having her sort of combination wedding anniversary and 40th birthday and she's with her husband for a week in New York. And um, they timed their trip and I said to, to her, um, by any chance are you a fan of Billy Joel? And she said, oh, well, you know, Miles is a massive fan. So I said... Um, well, do you know Billy Joel has a residency at Madison Square Garden where he plays now one show per month? And that, for me, would be like, you know, Billy Joel, such a New York sort of figure at Madison Square Garden. Oh my God. Um, anyway, I said, you should check if, if he's on when you're there. And he is. And today, so I've seen nine songs of Billy Joel at Madison Square Garden. Oh, my God. It's just, it's so great. And so I'm so happy that they, they went to it. It's awesome. It'll be a great memory for them. Jen is pretty cranky that I cost her quite a bit of money, though, because yeah. that was expensive. And I'm making it a go to Blue Hill as well. <laughs> to have a warm carrot. <laughs> to have a warm carrot and a raw apple. Carrot's amazing, man. One more question and then... Do you think? Wrap. Yeah. Has anyone got a really good question? Now everyone's just like, oh, God, what about you over there? I can see a, like a Lucky highly extended hand. Yeah, right there. Yep. Oh, thank you. Have you heard the... Two peas in a podcast episode titled The Sales and Crab Effect. <gasps> no. Oh, yeah. I told you about this because where were we? We were somewhere together. God, I can't even remember where we were. 
And um, I, I feel like we were... What other live shows have we done recently? God, I can't even remember where we were. Anyway, um, I listened to it while I was, like, doing my hair and it was just... It was the most... I couldn't believe it. I love those girls so much. They are what, just... What happened? They just... So, yeah, good point. So, you know how we talked about them on our podcast? Yes. And I just then got sort of busy and then I got a message from Mandy just like, um, just going, oh my God, um, that we'd sort of talked about them on the podcast. But what I didn't realise was that after our podcast went live, they just got all of these listeners just signing up and it was like by the time they released their podcast discussing what had happened they got like 50,000 like it was unbelievable like they and anyway it's such a I'll 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 line it up for you and get you to listen to it because it's so funny and kind of beautiful and I just was laughing and crying when I was listening to it it was just beautiful anyway but more importantly they are so great and um just to listen to them is to understand more about their lives and also to really feel that you can almost feel the people out there who need to hear their voices and hear their laughter and their ridiculous relationship and their you know I don't know just the way in which they approach life it's such a life-giving and wonderful podcast and so even the thought that we could help to expose it to a bigger audience is just like so joyous. Oh, that's lovely. They're going to come to our Melbourne podcast, so they will have to... Thank you very much for coming tonight. We have had a ball. We always love um, sort of being in a room full of chatters. And a near a motorsport event. Just adds a bit of a frisson to the uh, situation. (laughs) Thank you very much. Have an awesome night. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good night. (laughs) 